This program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO share is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit KFUO.org and click on the donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Hallelujah! Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. A blessed Easter to all of you this April the 19th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from the last precious verses of the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Today is this, as I said, our last study, and we do so with resurrection joy. Yesterday, we had a great study with Pastor Eric Mulquin with that emphasis of the physical resurrection of Jesus. We're not Gnostics. We do believe in physical things. We do believe in the resurrection, and Christ has indeed risen. We have been going through Matthew since December 6th with Dr. Gibbs and the beginning of our time until the very end Christ reign has come, has been our theme. Christ reign is here and Christ's kingdom and reign is coming. And these last verses capture all of that, with which is commonly called the Great Commission. And that theme run, rings true through all of it. We've heard it all before, but it's always good to have a fresh look and to make sure we're reading this faithfully. And we do so today for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back regular guest Pastor David Boisclair of Faith in Bethesda Lutheran Church in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, Happy Easter and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Happy Easter. It's uh, it's just a joy to be here, to be alive in Christ, uh, because uh, He is our life. So, Pastor, you know, it's been a while. I was kind of looking at this, and you were with us in Matthew 13, so almost half a book ago you were with us. So, so give us an update. What's going on? And I'll say this, Pastor, a year ago you and I were hanging out at Hodax. So tell us, <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day, of uh, it's, it's good to hear your voice and great to have you back. But give us an update. What's going on for you and, and the saints at Faith in Bethesda? Well, as as God is so gracious to us, uh, our, our we had a beautiful Easter celebration and uh, good attendance. Um, and I, in fact, in fact, with some guests, we we tripled our attendance. Uh, so so it it is the Lord's will that we continue to um, 
be the church in in the place where we are and uh, and, and and as always uh, seeking to understand uh, the gospel more clearly and 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 of course the Holy Spirit is is helping us do that uh, also St. Louis is still the same as when we were hanging out at Hodex uh, uh, you know we so basically uh, there's there, there's always a mission of, of uh, reaching people for Christ uh, and and uh, we we attempt to do that by being what we are, the church. And so that's, and the Lord is blessing that. And that fits so well with our text today. Um, what, like I said, is commonly called uh, the, the Great Commission. And, and, and part of that, that I just want to emphasize, because this week is share on Thursday and Friday, we'll be celebrating as uh, a, a mission of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, and really a support to the local congregation of this great commission of spreading the good news, because faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. So I just remind you, our listeners, um, and on Thursday and Friday of this week, we'll be having share um, to to hear just great studies and to hear the ministry, the mission that happens at KFUO and how it reaches the nations for Christ anytime, anywhere. So just a little um, a little precursor to that this week. So, Pastor, as we look at Matthew 28, very important that we make sure we ask the Lord's help as we study, because it can be a text that, I mean, there's so much gift to these words. At the same time, it can be misinterpreted in ways that are not quite exactly what the Scriptures have to say. So, Pastor, can you begin our time um, in prayer and ask for the Lord's help in our study? Yes, let us pray. O merciful God, as Christians, we were made your disciples through holy baptism, which is the washing of water with the word, the word of the gospel, which is your life-giving proclamation for all people. Grant that we would consider this very important text that lies at the end of Matthew's gospel, that we may know you and your salvation more clearly. In the name of him who is our salvation and life, the risen Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Reminder to your listeners, if you have any questions concerning our text, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call us on this live program, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, I'm going to begin by reading our beginning our verses, which is Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. Um, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about background as well. But just a reminder that this is right after the resurrection. You have the report of the guard. They basically said, hey, make sure everyone knows that the disciples are the ones who took his body away. And we're keeping laser focused on the Gospel of Matthew and this resurrection account and also the Great Commission as we hear the Lord speak today. So we'll be reading verses 16 till the end of chapter 28. Um, and we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So let us read the Word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, Pastor, I've heard, I've been part of many Bible studies throughout my career, and I guess I'm not that old, but yet I've heard it a lot, heard many stories, read many articles on these verses, most of the time very faithful, sometimes not so faithful. 
What are some important um, aspects to remember as we hear these words of our Lord Jesus at the end of Matthew 28? Well, I think we we need, as as you pointed out right at the beginning of the study, that we need to look at them in context, and and to see, you know, how would uh, the the apostles, the eleven apostles, be hearing what Jesus is saying, um, and uh, basically what what is what's going on here? It's 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 very dangerous if we kind of take a passage of scripture and pull it out of its context and and make it do other things than perhaps it wasn't intended to do and as as this uh passage is with with the fervency uh you know among Christians to save lost souls and I think you can you can understand that and you can your our hearts bleed for for the souls that uh that pass out of this life and, and go into condemnation because they don't belong in hell <laughs> that's for the devil and the fallen angels it's it's for it's heaven that is made for people and and uh, you know this this particular gem and and beautiful way in which Matthew's gospel is ended is is so it is kind of dedicated to the work of Christ it, you know in tote in in its entirety and not not of course like a just taking it out of context and making it sort of a mantra to let, let's this is what we have to do then that that's kind of, that's one of the ways in which it can be distorted Another just interesting side note is you mentioned that the importance of seeing this as as um, uh, there's a pro- this promise in this command. You know, often we use it as kind of it can be used as a hammer over a head, you know, over your head to say, well, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to go, 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 go. It's like a uh, um, adrenaline rush verse verses that we've used probably too often, I would say, in the church and not resting on the grace of God. But secondly, it. It it just ends. I mean, it just ends. This isn't, there's no like, um, it's no ascension in Matthew. I think a lot of people assume this is like Jesus is on his way up. We see this in the book of Acts, clearly. Um, and, and and we see that that ascension. And I think people kind of vision this is something where Jesus is ascending to heaven and he says this and he's gone. No, it's kind of, it just happens. And we don't know the context necessarily there in Galilee. We know that he's on the mount, probably ascended, but we don't know all the details, especially when he's focus on Matthew. So there's a, there's a few background things in here that are quite interesting. Anything you want to share uh, that leads us up to Matthew 28 and maybe some misperceptions of where Jesus is at this time? I don't know. Any thoughts you have? Yes, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting in our in our preparation, uh, you, you uh, suggested a book to me by Lucas V. Woodford called Great mm. Commission, Great Confusion, or Great Confession. And I think we uh, and it's uh, uh, it's by uh, WIMPF and Stock Publishers, and uh, I I, uh, I got the book yesterday, and, and I read I read a couple chapters of it, and I'm really impressed with it because it has yeah. it places uh, in our Lutheran uh, context it places this passage in in context and and also shows us the proper way to use it. What's interesting is is that you you have a situation, and, and we can understand that in our politically charged uh, uh, 
present day in, in America where they're, you know, it's just polarized. You have the Pharisees and, and the, well, it's actually the even more, the Sadducees, the chief priests and all of them, you know, they, they are on a mission exactly opposite to what Jesus and his apostles are, are, are all about. And here they are paying uh, persons who are were eyewitnesses to uh, what happened at the tomb to, to, uh, to tell a lie. And and then and, and so then, uh, you know, you have this in contrast to it. Uh, but the thing is, I, I think one of the things that is rather interesting is that one of our um, uh, Lutheran theologians from the 17th century, because uh, like a, a lot of times in recent years, we've been uh, looking at our roots. You know, in other words, what happened after Martin Luther and the Book of Concord? You know, there are, are these other faithful uh, uh, servants of God who... who uh, preached the gospel and taught the truth. Uh, Abraham Koloff says, well, he thinks that this particular passage, and now he, among others, you know, it's not just him, but that he is probably the more, the earliest one to do this. They, they, they um, said that this passage was probably spoken when Jesus appeared to more than 500 brethren who are, are mm-hmm. still, uh, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, First uh, Corinthians fifteen six. Uh, he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Uh, have died, of course, in in the Lord. Uh, so you know it. it it, it so it's it, because they because there are people that think this is a, such an important verse perhaps that they think that more people heard it than just eleven uh, apostles. Um, but but if you look at the the context, it doesn't tell us uh, for that appearance to the five hundred brothers or Christians that it, it occurred in Galilee. And and this particular text te- tells us very clearly that it was just the eleven. Ap- uh, apostles or eleven disciples that were remained after Judas had died, and uh, you know you, you'll never believe the reason why they they liked the idea that that more people were there listening to Jesus. Uh, uh, I'm ready to hear it, David. What do you got? Well, uh, it's because it says that some doubted. So you you had uh, ah, the folks sure. that looked at that. They didn't want to blame the apostles. They, oh, the apostles. Well, well look at Thomas, though. <laughs> look at Thomas. Uh, you know, there might have still been doubts in their minds. You know, it, it's, you know, at least from our perspective where we speak of the truth, you know, doubt is probably one of the worst sins. It's It's the opposite of faith. And so, you know, so they, they said, well, well, there must have been more there. There were the, it was during that appearance before 500. And we can believe that some of them doubted. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's, that's really interesting. I guess I hadn't thought about that a whole lot of who was all there. We know the 11 are there. But like you said, it does talk about him being seen by 500 uh, people, and that would make a lot of sense with what he's saying here as well. Of course, we don't fully know, and to think that all eleven would not have doubted might be a little bit far fetched. But you know, that, that might be might be a reality as well. So, Pastor, I'm going to do this. I'll read verses 16 and 17, and we can dig in a little more because you've touched on it for sure. And just some basic questions before we get to the promises and sending of Jesus. So, 16, 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Pastor, I'm going to ask a few, uh, just two questions right off the bat. Eleven disciples. How come there's only eleven? And what mountain do you think that they were on? They, they, um, uh, there were eleven because, as, as we know, during Holy Week, during during um, on Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, Judas, of course, had betrayed the Lord, and and he was, uh, and, and Christ even referred to him as the son of perdition, uh, which, which of course, was most unfortunate. It was Judas, of course, was lost by his own fault. He then, uh, uh, you know, received 30 pieces of silver, and then he throw, threw them back into the temple because he had, uh, he repented, or, or somewhat repented. He was remorseful, but he wasn't repentant, obviously. And then he went and hanged himself. Um, and so, so you you had his apostolic office that was that was now vacant, and you had, and then you, and then you, then it's interesting that the uh, the evangelists or the gospel writers point out that uh, it, it's the eleven. You know, they had been saying the twelve. Well, now it's no longer twelve because you got one, uh, you got a vacancy in in the uh, uh, the apostolic uh, count, and so you you speak of the eleven. Um, the the other thing is is that it was planned by Jesus with his apostles that they would meet in Galilee after his resurrection. Uh, for instance, uh, you know the angel speaking to the women uh, as they came to the uh, the uh, empty tomb uh, said, "Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee." So, so in other words, there's this uh, in Matthew. You in Mark's gospel, they record how Jesus arranged with them that they would go to Galilee. The only mountain uh, that one may think of it would maybe be where the uh, the Lord gave His Sermon on the Mount, which was like on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, or uh, sometimes people think it's probably Mount Tabor. Um, that uh, that that was, of course, considered the Mount of the Transfiguration. So, but I don't think we really know uh, where where that was at, 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 you know, from this standpoint. And so, so we hear that, and yeah, like you said, there's there's a lot of times we just have to be comfortable with we don't know. But it, I know for people who have been to the to the uh, to to the Holy Land, like I mean, just think about how you're like, wow, this could have been the spot, you know, and to have the physical reality and history that God worked, and to know that He was at a mountain in that area, and He said these words, and that gives us the calling as well. But then verse 17 comes, and like we kind of touched on already, that you have that reality that there he is resurrected. We hear before this in chapter 28 that they literally came up and grabbed his feet. So it's a physical Jesus. This is not a spiritual Jesus. Um, And they worshiped him and some doubted. So the question that I, I know comes up for me and whenever I've done a study on this is, how could people doubt? Are they doubting that he actually was risen from the dead or are they doubting something else? Because they could have touched him and known that he was an actual person. Any thoughts on how you'd answer that in verse 17? Yeah, I, I think that's that. Those are very good questions. Um, I, I don't like where interpreters say that um, that you know, of the eleven, there were some that worshipped him. You know, which basically they prostrated themselves. According to, I mean, that's what can uh, uh, can that word means, um, proskineo. Uh, 
are but but then that that the doubting was the opposite thing you know there were some that's kind of held off and oh they didn't do that i don't think that's what it's saying i think uh dr gibbs in his commentary kind of has the best uh take on that that all of them all of them worshiped uh but then then among those there were some that doubted um you know and and again perhaps uh you know it's interesting how during this time where they speak about the apostles uh, like in um uh, John's gospel it says that John came into the empty tomb and and he believed uh and and and, and you know maybe it was an aspect of their joy or their awe it, it's just this is very traumatic to them to see the you know to see the risen lord and of course they they trucked all the way from Jerusalem into Galilee in order to to see him at this time so there there it must have been more there than just than than just that maybe maybe it was as you said maybe just like a maybe a slight doubt in their minds i think all of us sometimes are tempted by the devil to to have such feelings and this brings us you know to thomas which i know for us in the three-year lectionary that that would be part of the lectionary this sunday and and this is where one thomas gets a bad rap you know he's like well you know doubting thomas and we we don't we don't uh we don't call Peter, uh, you know, the denying Peter by any means. But Thomas just has a natural doubting Thomas flow. But, I mean, we all are going to have that. He calls us blessed when we believe that we are not able to see. But at the same time, doubting is something we all can relate with because we're going to have our moments, maybe longer than we want to admit, which is why, truly, we understand faith is a gift of God by the Holy Spirit. Or else, if it was up, up to us and our confidence, the Lord have mercy. Um it would not work out well. So any, any other thoughts on, on those first two verses, Pastor? Yes, I think one of the things that is very destructive to our to uh, Christian teaching is the idea that um, um, uh, Paul Tillich, who was kind of, he was a Lutheran, but he was more of a, he seemed more of a, you know, a doubter himself. He said that doubt was part of saving faith. And I think there's nothing that is more uh inimical, you know, another or in other words, against the gospel that can possibly be said, you know, uh, you know, God who creates faith in our in our hearts, who has, um, you know, regenerated us as new creations uh, is not uh, someone that is going to put doubt there. Doubt is part of the old nature. Doubt is not a part of faith. Uh, so, so I, I think uh, um, to Doctor Tillich, uh, who is long deceased, I say, you know, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, doubt <laughs> is not a part of my faith. I mean, if I doubt, it's it's a sin. <laughs> right. We don't we don't encourage doubting, and I've kind of heard that argument before, where it's like, well, if you're not doubting, you're not really believing. You're like, well, I don't think that's no. true. Um, and I, actually, I I didn't think that, and I know it's not true now because. We, in fact, Christ has risen from the dead, you know, the hope for all of us, especially those who have fallen asleep. So, Pastor, I'm going to read verse 18. And I like how, like you said, Dr. Gibbs in his commentary says it so wonderfully throughout, throughout his commentary is, here is words of assurance. And those are words that we cling to as we continue to look at these words and as we reflect back on all of Matthew. So verse, verse 18, I'll just read this verse. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're going to stop there. 
Jesus speaks, and what are the words he says, and why are those so important as we interpret all these verses today, Pastor? Well, it talks about his um, ministry of um, how not only what he has accomplished, that he has accomplished the uh, atonement for all people on the cross, and it is finished, uh, that, that his work goes on. Uh, you know, he still is the God-man. He still has a human nature, and, and, and he still is, you know, has the divine nature. And his human nature, of course, in, all, in using his divine glory and power, uh, goes through what we call a state of humiliation, which ended with his burial. And then it, then it uh, has a state of exaltation. You know, so God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name. Now, anything where we speak about Jesus receiving something like this, we have to understand it as, as something that he receives according to his human nature. He already had all authority in heaven and earth as God the Son, according to his divine nature, but also God has given to him according to his human nature all authority. And, and what, what's rather interesting is that Jesus is said, uh, you know, he says that that he will judge the world because he is the Son of Man, which, which basically points to the fact that that he is going to be the judge of uh, on the last day because of his human nature uh, united to his divine nature and so that's kind of what's going on here it's sort of like a a new a a new uh, a a new time for his ministry you know because he continues to make intercession for us he has all authority in heaven and earth and and for the church he is the head of the universe that's kind of my ideas with that. Yeah, and it and it really to to even think about what we are to go and do, we fully have to understand who is this guy telling us what to do. And I think about this with as a track coach, you know, there's times I'll tell my athletes, okay, now we're going to do the sprint day. So now we're going to sprint. Um, I'm a, I'm a shop and discus coach just to remind everyone. So we're not running long distances or anything, but there's times where the, the young people will kind of say, you know, who gives you this authority? I mean, and, and then that's where it's like, well, I'm your coach and you voluntarily joined <laughs> the track team. So this is what we're going to do so that we will be able to throw the disc and shot farther. You're an athlete, you know, that kind of thing. And here, Jesus knows there's people in the room that doubt. And so the question is, who gives him authority to be able to tell them what they're for to do. So we can look at it in that way. And that's all law. And, you know, and that's, and that's what it is. There's a law in this, but Jesus lays it out so great that that this is an assurance that the assurance happens in this verse and the last verse and the assurance is that he has all authority everything that has been he's he's been used to part of creation he is is god of all things he and if he goes down his laundry list which we hear a lot in the book of luke in chapter four um about he did this he did this he did this and he did this he is laying the groundwork for those who doubt for those who believe that he affirms once again who he is as jesus the lord of all creation that he has all authority and this has been given to him and then, therefore, he also calls those people, the disciples who are there at that time. So any thoughts on why that's important for us, even today, to know who this Jesus is, especially in verse 18? Well, I think that's vitally important. I think what you said, that the question of authority. If somebody comes to you, I'm speaking to the listeners here, if somebody comes to you and says, well, I have, you know, I, I'm 
telling you the word of God. You 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 need to question their authority in a sense. Well, who? Well, how? Why? Why are you? What makes you think that that I should listen to what you're saying? You know, what is what is your reason for this? Well, I was called as pastor of Bethesda Lutheran Church. And and you're here in our at our church, and and I'm telling you about this. So so that it was something that was was a problem at the time of Luther, uh, because there were people that were saying they were uh, men and women of God, and they were pre- preaching to people and commanding them and everything, and 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 no one was asking them what who gave you this authority. So but if you are from God, you can point uh, and and you have a line of authority that goes all the way up to God himself. And and I think what you just said is so very important about our Lord is that that he has according to his human nature as a human being, he has been given authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. So as we look at that, we want to we want to go from this assurance that the Lord gives, shows us who He is and what the authority is, and that will lead us into the what we know as the Great Commission in the next verses. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew twenty eight with Pastor David Boisclair, and we'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. studying Matthew 28 with Pastor David Boisclair of Faith in Bethesda Lutheran Church in Pine Lawn, Missouri. And Pastor, we've, we've, we've laid the groundwork. Um, we come to Jesus on the Mount and with his 11 disciples. There are normal realities of life. And like we said, we don't encourage this, but people who there who believed, hallelujahs, they had to have been singing, right? Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. He's right in front of them. There's some who doubted, and Jesus gives that assurance in verse 18. Now we come to verse 19. I want to make sure, anything else you want to highlight in verses 16 through 18? Um, Well, as I say, you know, he's by saying all authority is given to me so so in other words he's he's uh telling uh the church how it is to live in the world you know in other words he he's still the lord and and and, and of course he he ends with that but i mean i'm thinking that that's so jesus really was cognizant of the fact that he was showing why he had authority to do that you know that the uh Pharisees and Sadducees asked him, you know, by who gave you this authority? And Jesus says, well, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, was was the baptism of John the Baptist from uh, heaven or from men, or, you know, from God or from men? And they said, we can't say. Well, he says, I'm not going to 
tell you by what authority I do these things. But he had authority. The Father who sent him is kind of a constant refrain in John's gospel. It's the Father. And, and you know, when we are one God, as we will hear. And so let's read verse 19. Like I said, this is a very common um, common quote that we will have, the Great Commission. And also, I think, it's, I think it's important for us to, when we have Dr. Lucas Woodford's book, you know, the, the Great Commission or Great Confusion or Great Confession, he, he really brings up some good reflections on how we look at this. But I also don't want to deny the reality of this is a call for us in the proclamation of the gospel. Let's not forget that either. So we're going to try to not go too far off in either side of the horse as we hear these words. Verse 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, Pastor, let's let's keep it simple here. Uh, Jesus says, go. And what does he tell them to go and do? Well, no, we have to remember, I, I think it's maybe a little bit mistranslated here. It says we should say it it's, should be like when you go or as you go, because it's a, it is a participle that is being used here. And, and even Dr. Gibbs in his commentary says that these are attendant circumstances. So he's giving them the mandate. And it's rather interesting that, that we want to use that word because it's more of a gospel word uh, rather than a law word. Because this, this should not be looked upon as, as some of those who look at this as, as you know, this is our duty, this is our, this is our marching orders, this is a command, you know. And, and, and this, of course, is, is kind of uh, tainted in some uh, denominations, or some Protestant denominations. So it's... it's as you go, make disciples. Okay, now, then, then, of course, it tells you how to make disciples. And then it tells you, like, the order in which, and, and then, but what's interesting, it says, make disciples of all nations. Now, the word there is the same for Gentiles. And if you look back in, in Matthew's gospel, uh, when, he, when he sends out his apostles, uh, you, know, at, you know, after the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, in other words, during the three years of his ministry, his main focus was to the people of God, because as the Messiah, as the Savior, he was the promise. Uh, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and and to uh, the people of God, which uh, really are there. You know, Israel was was created by God just simply to bring Jesus into the world. That's the way I look at it. Um, you know, as a, as a teacher of the Word of God. Now, now the thing is, is now uh, now he has completed the work of redemption, and so now how how are they to live in the world as the church? Well, you should be about making disciples of everybody. <laughs> and now the Gentiles. Now you've gone to the, you know, it's weird because if if Peter and, and the other, well, of course, Peter was, was, was kind of, was brought home to him in Acts 10, where God showed him a vision of, of a, uh, you know, a a, uh, a sheet that was let down from heaven with all kinds of uh, animals in it, that, that particular vision, to that, that it was also God's will for the apostles and, and, and the believers to also uh, seek to save the, uh, the Gentiles as well. 
So tell us more about all nations. I mean, you're, you're almost right there. It says make disciples of all nations. I want to start the all nations part of this before we even start talking about making disciples, because that's an important piece, too, is all nations like, well, right here in Judea, is it the world? How would you how would you define that? I think, you know, what's interesting about Scripture is that it's like a beautiful jewel that, that is cut in many facets. Uh, that you have, you know, you, in other words, you have here the Lord directing them to the Gentiles, but, but it also contains, it's panta ta ethne in Greek. That means every everywhere, everybody. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a very, very uh, um, un... Uh, you know, unlimited, uh, unlimited um, idea here that that the Lord gives that they are to go to everybody, and and so that that's kind of that 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 can be taken here, but it also could mean to say, well, now now it's not only to the people of Israel, but it don't don't forget them because as as the apostle Paul mentions that Peter and and the other apostles were in a sense given the, the direction by the Lord uh, for the circumcision, in other words, for the people of Israel, but but the, Paul uh, saw his apostolic ministry as directed toward the Gentiles, uh, everybody else. Uh, so, so as long as you cover everybody, that's that's kind of what I would I would see that as saying. And it and also includes infants. Uh, I think right. we we I think it's very proper to consider it uh, that 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 means not only uh, persons that are um, at the age of consent, but also even infants that are in the world. And I've heard that over and over again as well, that this was not a um, just to Gentiles or just to Israel, very clear that this is speaking to the whole world. And that's where you see that call as well um, in Acts chapter one, um, you know, uh, to, to, to the nations, to the rest of the world. And so this is very clearly to the world. Now, now it gets to this, this question that I want to ask is how does one make disciples as it says, go, therefore, you know, as you go, as you said so wonderfully, um, to make disciples. How does one make disciples? Um, and, of course, again, we, we want to emphasize that the one who truly makes the disciples is God. You know, it's truly mm-hmm. true the, the Lord who regenerates. He, he makes disciples by regenerating people. Well, he does that through holy baptism. And it's interesting. You make disciples by baptizing there and then, then of course you have the teaching that that invo- is kind of connected to that, uh, but it is by baptizing. Um, I I remember uh, you know there was a, a a Lutheran a young Lutheran boy in uh, my home congregation that was influenced by um, some some people that were like they were like a different denomination non denominational to be baptized. Uh, again, as an adult, because he was baptized as as an infant, and uh, he went to his pastor. He went to the pastor, and the pastor told him, "Now look at the passage. The order is given here that you're baptized and then you're taught." <laughs> now, of course, mm-hmm. it, they would say that um, uh, you know you have adults that come in into the faith and they're taught first and then they're baptized. But if you look at Acts, just think about looking at the book of Acts. It almost seems as if those who are uh, that are basically told the gospel, um, for instance, like Cornelius, 
you know, he, he's one that gets, uh, the Lord sends Peter to uh, the uh, Cornelius, the centurion in Capernaum, and, and uh, his, his whole household is baptized. But notice that um, they are not, they don't take him through a year's worth of instructions or anything. They baptize them immediately. You know, you know, it's, and, and, and you, it's interesting where, where uh, there is another thing. I think Peter asked the question, what does hinder them from being baptized? Which is kind of like, a, becomes a, um, a liturgical question you when know, people are brought to baptism. What hinders them from being baptized? And, and so I, I think that that is the first step. In other words, from our end, what do we do? Well, we baptize. And God's end, he is the one that uses baptism as a means of grace to regenerate people. Mm. That's how you make and disciples. So, right. Regeneration only from the gift of the Holy Spirit by God's work. And that can easily be misunderstood. Like, um, it's not, obviously, we are to go and baptize no doubt about it. That that's us. But let's not forget who's actually doing the growth. This is Mark chapter four language, planting the seeds, um, and very important that we keep the driving of these verbs. Who's driving the verbs? Uh, Pastor Boyce, Claire, me, my family, our church. No, it's always Christ by His means of grace. And Pastor, it Amen. speaks very clearly here about. This God, it really is. I mean, it's a very clear confession of who our God is. Why is it important that these words are kept in context, not only a baptism, but who Jesus is when it says Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when it refers not only to baptism, but also to our God? Well, that, that, that's so precious because that is the outline of our faith. You know, we believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, one God in three persons, three persons in one God, the Holy Trinity. And even as, as Luther or as others have said, that these are the first words that the baptizand, the person that's being baptized, hears. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and it's a confession uh, of the reality of our God as being one God in three persons and three persons in one God. That's how he reveals himself. And it is into him. that, it, In other words, God puts his name on those who are baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and so, I mean, that, that's, and that, of course, is what we base our entire, the content of our faith. So, you know, where Jesus says, well, teaching them to observe all that I bid you, uh, there, there he's saying, kind of saying, well, that's kind of like in line with the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the Apostles' Creed, or, or a creed, is divided into three articles, and it is the summary of all all of the Christian faith. So if people want to know what Christians believe, all they have to do is bring out the, the Apostles' Creed. And, and uh, everything that we believe is, is in that creed. And that's why we confess that creed. And this, this is a great connection to, for us, we have confirmation on Palm Sunday. It's a great connection to one, when you have a baptism, which we had basically the week before Palm Sunday, where you confess the creed. Um, even though that child cannot speak, we confess that creed of the faith they are being baptized into. And then the next Sunday for us, we had confirmation where these young people who were baptized into this triune God now confess the truth and say, this faith is mine, if you will, obviously a gift from God. 
um, to connect that all together. What do we believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, you know, and go down the whole list. How important that is, that that is the basics of who we are as Christians, because that's who our God is. And that's our identity is wound up and who our God is as well. So, Pastor, we have one more verse to go, but just want to make sure there's anything else you want to highlight in verse 19. Uh, yes, the um, in a sense, it, it shows to those uh, maybe denominations which disparage baptism that it, let's say they're they're really gung ho on the Great Commission, make disciples and everything. You know, they take these words out of context and they make it into a law. It's like this is what Jesus told us we had to do. This is the most important verse in the Bible. Well, no, sorry, the gospel is what makes Christians, not the law. And the other thing is that it, it 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 what is rather interesting something that you disparage that is baptism is how how is is basically at the front and center of what makes disciples you know if nothing occurs in baptism you know usually the these denominations say well well we're just uh, Jesus told us to be baptized so we we have to do it so we do it uh, but but i mean something's going on uh, to make people disciples. It's the Holy Spirit, who, because it is the washing of water with the Word. It is the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through baptism. That's why for us Lutherans, it doesn't matter what way you're baptized, because what's happening on the outside is not important. It's what's happening on the inside of the, mm-hmm. of the of a believer or the person. As it says, I am giving you a new heart in, in the scripture, and that's a, that's a great reminder for us as well. Here's what I'm going to do, Pastor. I'm going to read verse 20, and I have a very important question that I'm going to give you just for us to think about is, okay, so the Great Commission has been given. The question for us today is, after I read this verse, is who is to fulfill the Great Commission today? And that's a very important question that we answer faithfully. Verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, Pastor, here's the, the Great Commission. Um, we've, I've heard it called many thing, other things, but just for the sake of simplicity, the Great Commission has been done. Who is to fulfill? Who is to do this Great Commission today? The Holy Spirit. God the Father, <laughs> Son, and Holy Spirit. That's that's who's going to fulfill that Great Commission. Not to say that we should just sit on our duffs and do nothing. I mean, we should have a passion to, to save the lost. Well, doing that is proclaiming the gospel, all that he has bid us. Uh, they, you know, it's interesting. My, my professor, Dr. Uh, Norman Nagel, did not like uh, the translation, although that the word in Greek has, has uh, that connotation of commanding or, you know, telling or, or, or establishing. But he liked to say, uh, you know, have G, uh, you know, point out the gospel centeredness of our uh, mission it is mentioned here, you know, teaching them to observe, not to obey. By the way, the New International Version translates the tereo there, which means to hold or to keep or to treasure as obey. It doesn't say obey. You know, that's not in the Great Commission or whatever they call it. It is it, teaching them to observe, teaching them to keep, teaching them to treasure all things that I told you or I bid you and and I am with you every day 
you know, in in the in this in these verses, you have uh, four times where Jesus uses the all or every. You know, all authority is given me in heaven and in earth. Uh, make disciples of all nations. Uh, I will uh, teaching them to. Uh, observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you every day till the end of the age. And 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 that's that's really a powerful statement of His promise. I am going to be with you. Just be what you are, the church in the world, my body in the world, and and I will fulfill the great commission through you. And I like how you said that. Be the church. Be the church. Dr. Gibbs says, you know, who carries out the Great Commission? I love how you started with the Holy Spirit. That's definitely a Nagel quote right there, the Holy yeah. Spirit. And, and the answer uh, of that, what the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, and enlightens the whole Christian church. So, so what says make sure we start with the Holy Spirit. It comes to the church, and then the church calls her pastors to preach. And we can easily fall into one side, fall off one side or the other of the horse of trying to say, okay, um, so who's supposed to do the work? And how would you, okay, we're starting with the Holy Spirit. And I want to just, because I think people are going to press you on that. So is it given to the pastors? Is it given to the laity? Is it given to the teachers or other commissioned ministers in the LCMS? Is it given to the missionaries who are overseas? How would you answer that Faithfully keeping the Holy Spirit at the forefront, obviously, Pastor. This can be get very hairy very quickly. How would you address that? Yes, um, we we have uh, we have to understand that the means of grace, the gospel and the sacraments, and and the Lord's mandate to carry them out is given uh, originally and directly to the church. Uh, to the entire church, and, and, and so, and then uh, God has also established something else. Or Christ is Christ that has also established something else. He's established the public office of the holy ministry, so that you can have this going on in the midst of the church, uh, if given to a man, a, a Christian man who has has a a divine call to carry this out publicly. Now, now the thing is, and, and there, there it involves, you know, maybe a kind of like a, an order, because God is an, a God of order. You know, as St. Paul at the end of uh, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says, God is not a God of disorder. So he has established the office of the holy ministry to do this publicly. So not only are, is each Christian to share Christ with with others as as the Lord uh, encourages and blesses them, but also uh, God has established a a public office, and and uh, that that makes it you know He's doing exactly the same thing with that public office, and and that's what 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 they're they're being uh, supported by the church to do is to do this publicly, so that people will have their sins forgiven, uh, they'll be baptized, they'll receive Holy Communion, and they'll be taught everything that Jesus uh, bid us to do. So, Pastor, it ends these words, just in case we start getting too much into our own, I want to say, functions, our responsibilities, or finding comfort in our own works, 
because he says, teaching all that I observe and all that I've commanded you, which can lead us to, well, one, either weird pride because, you know, there's a lot to teach. And if you think you've taught it all, like, well, it might not be a little bit off, but also uh, to think that, okay, this is all on me. And Jesus does not allow that. Matthew ends this so beautifully as he says his word and behold, or look. And throughout the gospel, Matthew, Dr. Gibbs says this all the time. Whenever that happens, listen up because Jesus, uh, uh, Matthew's going to highlight something that's a little bit maybe not according to our thought process, um, but is according to the kingdom and how the kingdom operates. And he ends with, I am with you always to the end of the age. He just, he just throws out anything of us having to have anything to do with this for our own pride, and he brings it back to himself. Tell us about those la- that last promise and assurance of Jesus and why that's important for us today. I, I, I can't think, uh, uh, there are many passages of the Holy Scriptures that are, are, are beautiful. This is, pro- this is definitely one of the most beautiful ones. My, my beloved pastor uh, of my congregation, when he ordained me into the ministry over almost 40 years ago, this, this summer will be 40 years ago, uh, his verse for me, you know, his word of prophecy was, um, uh, Jesus said, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. I know he will be with you. And as he laid his hands on me in, in ordaining me into the, into the office of the Holy Ministry, it, it, it's so comforting. And it, it's very, very practical. He says every day. It's not, you know, I will be with you always. You know, maybe that's a little bit vague. But he says, I will be with you every day until the end of the age. And, and it, it, it's just so comforting. You know, it, it, that, was, that was how I was struck with this passage. Uh, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't help but think that anyone else looking at this is touched with that. And, and, and Jesus promises to be with us. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He comes to us in the Holy Gospel and in the sacraments. And so, Pastor, like you mentioned, and we've mentioned, there's there's a book, and I love how I love how you highlight that too, because it's very clear what your pastor said to you. Very, there's no confusion in those words. It is a sweet gospel for us always to remember. And so, Pastor, great commission, or great confusion, or or the great confession. How would you encourage our listeners as they hear these words today, for the lady, for the pastors, um, for everybody as part of the church? How are these words to give us great, um, a great confession in our world today? Yes, we confess to the world that in the holy Christian and apostolic church, of which uh, all true believers are, member, are members, the invisible church it's invisible in the world but it also has uh it it has a wonderful story and wonderful gifts to give they are god's it is god's story and god's gifts and and um all of us should should count ourselves blessed to be part of this uh mission of the church which is just simply the church's life as bringing life to the world. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, you know, what we have to offer is is so 
important uh, to the world. Anyone that doesn't have Christ is is of all people most to be pitied. And, and um, you know, I, I, I really think that our Lord Jesus is basically fleshing out what it is to be the church in the world or his people in the world. And each of us individually uh, walk hand in hand with Jesus as, as we bring his uh, gospel to those who have never heard it. And and it isn't it isn't should never be a legal thing and never never saying well this is what we have to do yes there is a uh, there is an urgency to it and 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 we shouldn't be lazy or whatever that's that's a but 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 we should always center ourselves in the 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 crucified and risen Christ it is always the church of the gospel because it is only the gospel which is God's power. Uh, to to uh, regenerate people. Pastor David Boyce-Claire of Faith in Bethesda Lutheran Church in Pine Lawn, Missouri, giving us God's strong word from Matthew 28. Pastor Boyce-Claire, thank you for bringing us his gifts. It's, it's uh, our pleasure. It's our life as Christians. Thanks be to God. I want to just, throughout the season of Easter, I want to highlight Easter hymns. I love them. I want to keep doing them. I might sing them throughout our time, but my favorite one that we sang on Sundays, I Know My Redeemer Lives. So I'll end with these words. I know that my Redeemer lives. What comfort this sweet sentence gives. He lives, he lives who once was dead. He lives my ever-living head. This is our comfort as we end, Matthew. This is our comfort now and our comfort that will be forevermore. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.